Behold, the life-giving tree of the cross, on which was hung the salvation of the world. I'm told that is the theme you are following this Lenten season, a phrase from a familiar Good Friday liturgy that somehow expresses the focus of your Lenten services. I'm told that you are viewing the cross, as it were, through the leaves and branches of other trees, that in doing so you are gaining a new perspective on that life-giving tree on which was hung the salvation of the world. Well, good luck. I'm sorry. That sounded sarcastic, or at least contrary. That wasn't my intention. I'm not sarcastic by nature. It's just that, well, I'm dead. Trying to view the tree of the cross through my leaves and branches would be downright impossible because I haven't got any leaves or branches anymore. I'm dead, struck down in my prime, infested with, this is embarrassing to admit, with worms or one worm, more correctly, one worm called by God to strike me down as certainly as I, as I was called by God to rise up, to give shade to a prophet named Jonah. And so I am quite dead. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not bitter. That's a bit, a bit of an inside joke. You see, I am, or rather I was, a castor oil plant, sort of naturally bitter, if you catch my drift. But seriously, I'm not at all bitter. I performed my purpose, the Lord's purpose, really. And although I don't have leaves and branches through which you may peer at the cross, that's not to say that I don't have a story to tell, a story that may give some new perspective to each of you as you view the life-giving tree of the cross. Jonah, of course, didn't really see me as a life-giving tree, but rather as death-giving or at least death-witnessing. He was going to sit in my shadow and watch thousands of people die, watch them suffer the dire punishment that he, Jonah, the prophet of the Lord God of Israel, had been sent to predict. One thing Jonah didn't expect as he sat in my shade was that I would prove to be a sort of tree of forgiveness, that the people of Nineveh, Gentile pagans that they were, and perennial enemies of Israel, that they would actually believe the message of a prophet of the Lord God of Israel and would act on that belief. That didn't happen very often, not even in Israel. Of all the Old Testament prophets, especially the ones who have books of the Bible named after them, as near as we can tell, Jonah, my Jonah, is the only one the only one who had any real success. Most of the Lord's prophets were ignored or ridiculed at best or persecuted and executed at worst. And all of those things occurred in the Holy Land, virtually in the shadow of the temple. I am told that your New Testament letter to the Hebrews offers this brief but vivid description. Some were tortured, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, and in caves and holes in the ground. The one prophet who had any real measure of success was Jonah. At his preaching of the word of God, the whole city of Nineveh repented, beginning with the king himself. I know. I saw it. It was absolutely unheard of in the long and often tragic history of God's servants, the prophets. Jonah should have been happy, of course. For as Jesus would say centuries later, there is joy among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. If that kind of joy is the result of one repentant sinner, then what kind of celebration accompanies 120,000? But Jonah was upset. These were citizens of Nineveh, after all. Enemy Gentiles. Jonah hadn't wanted to go in the first place. And that was the reason. In his opinion, these people didn't deserve a prophet of the Lord. You've heard the story, I'm sure. It took a great storm and then a great fish to get Jonah to carry out his mission. Probably still reluctantly. He had trudged through the city, prophesying that Nineveh would be overthrown. And now he was going to sit outside the city and watch it happen. Ha ha ha! Would it be fire and brimstone like Sodom and Gomorrah? That would be neat to see. Or would it be what? An earthquake? A tornado? An advancing army? Or terrible plagues like those that fell on Pharaoh's Egypt in the day of Moses? It was hot out here, where Jonah waited and watched. The Middle Eastern sun beat down fiercely. And here at last is where I come in. Just as the Lord had appointed a great fish during the storm at sea, so now the Lord appointed, the same word, me, a plant, to grow overnight, large enough to provide welcome shade for Jonah there in the sun. Behold the tree! Jonah did. Jonah was happy for me. For the first time in the story... It appears Jonah actually was happy about something. And that something was none other than me. And then the Lord appointed, same word again, as always, the Lord is in charge here. The Lord appointed a worm, some sort of greasy grub that attacked me and caused me to wither and die. Behold the tree, or at least where a tree used to be. And now Jonah was angry because he wanted me to be here. Can you hear some echoes of Eden here? I was something to be desired. That is where sin frequently begins, isn't it? Going after what one desires was the beginning of the downfall of Judas with his money bag, of Peter in the high priest's courtyard, of Pontius Pilate washing his hands. Jonah desired his tree desired me. That's all he wanted right now. And, here it comes, he was so concerned about his own comfort, his own prejudices, his own desires, that he failed to see the needs of those to whom he was sent. There's an old expression that talks about not being able to see the forest for the trees. And that was Jonah unable to see all those sinners repenting and coming to faith. Because of me, a tree. 
Jonah wanted them all destroyed. And when I, a lowly tree and a castor oil tree at that, was destroyed instead, Jonah was upset. He couldn't see the forest for the tree. Jesus, on the other hand, wanted all people saved. And so he endured a tree, the life-giving tree of the cross, in the heat of the day. And Jesus' tree was not a shade tree. Behold the tree, the life-giving tree of the cross. Is its message so different from mine? For its message is that God so loved the world. And that message endures forever. Because on that tree, the very Son of God completed his mission for which he had been appointed to give his life so that the lives of others might be spared. He himself put it best that repentance and forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all the world. Jesus' tree was not a shade tree, nor was I in the long run. In the end, I was a dead tree, offering no shade whatsoever. And right here, the Lord's message to Jonah becomes the Lord's message I wish to share with you as well. You can't stay under the tree forever. You can't remain a reluctant or disgruntled spectator. That is not your call as a forgiven, redeemed, blood-bought child of God. Behold the life-giving tree of the cross on which was hung the salvation of the world. And then get out in the sun. Amen.